Chapter Two of Specimen Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Specimen Days by Walt Whitman. Opening of the Secession War. News of the attack on Fort Sumter and the flag at Charleston Harbor, South Carolina, was received in New York City late at night, 13th April, 1861 and was immediately sent out in extras of the newspapers. I had been to the opera in 14th Street that night, and after the performance was walking down Broadway toward 12 o'clock, on my way to Brooklyn, when I heard in the distance the loud cries of the newsboys, who came presently tearing and yelling up the street, rushing from side to side even more furiously than usual. I bought an extra, and crossed to the Metropolitan Hotel, Niblo's, where the great lamps were still brightly blazing, and, with a crowd of others, who gathered impromptu, read the news, which was evidently authentic. For the benefit of some who had no papers, one of us read the telegram aloud, while all listened silently and attentively. No remark was made by any of the crowd, which had increased to thirty or forty, but all stood a minute or two, I remember, before they dispersed. I can almost see them there now, under the lamps at midnight again. National Uprising and Volunteering I have said somewhere that the three presidentiates preceding 1861 showed how the weakness and wickedness of rulers are just as eligible here in America under Republican as in Europe under dynastic influences. But what can I say of that prompt and splendid wrestling with secession slavery, the arch-enemy personified, the instant he unmistakably showed his face? The volcanic upheaval of the nation, after that firing on the flag at Charleston, proved for certain something which had been previously in great doubt, and at once substantially settled the question of disunion. In my judgment it will remain as the grandest and most encouraging spectacle yet vouchsafed in any age, old or new, to political progress and democracy. It was not for what came to the surface merely, though that was important, but what it indicated below, which was of eternal importance down in the abysms of new world humanity there had formed and hardened a primal heart-pan of national union will determined and in the majority refusing to be tempered with or argued against confronting all emergencies and capable at any time of bursting all surface bonds and breaking out like an earthquake it is indeed the best lesson of the century or of america and it is a mighty privilege to have been part of it two great spectacles in mortal proofs of democracy unequalled in all the history of the past are furnished by the secession war one at the beginning the other at its close those are the general voluntary armed upheaval and the peaceful and harmonious disbanding of the armies in the summer of eighteen sixty five contemptuous feeling even after the bombardment of Sumter, however, the gravity of the revolt and the power and will of the slave states for a strong and continued military resistance to national authority were not at all realized at the North, except by a few. Nine-tenths of the people of the free states looked upon the rebellion, as started in South Carolina, from a feeling one half of contempt and the other half composed of anger and incredulity. It was not thought it would be joined in by Virginia, North Carolina, or Georgia a great and cautious national official predicted that it would blow over in sixty days and folks generally believed the prediction i remember talking about it on a fulton ferry-boat with the brooklyn mayor who said he only quote, hoped the southern fire-eaters would commit some overt act of resistance as they would then be at once so effectually squelched 
we would never hear of secession again, but he was afraid they never would have the pluck to really do anything. End quote. I remember, too, that a couple of companies of the 13th Brooklyn, who rendezvoused at the city armory and started thence as thirty days' men, were all provided with pieces of rope, conspicuously tied to their musket barrels, with which to bring back each man a prisoner from the audacious south to be led in a noose on our men's early and triumphant return. Battle of Bull Run, July 1861 All this sort of feeling was destined to be arrested and reversed by a terrible shock, the battle of first bull run certainly as we now know it one of the most singular fights on record all battles and their results are far more matters of accident than is generally thought but this was throughout a casualty a chance each side supposed it had won till the last moment one had in point of fact just the same right to be routed as the other by a fiction or series of fictions the national forces at the last moment exploded in a panic and fled from the field the defeated troops commenced pouring into Washington over the Long Bridge at daylight on Monday, 22nd, day drizzling all through with rain. The Saturday and Sunday of the battle, 20th and 21st, had been parched and hot to an extreme. The dust, the grime and smoke, in layers, sweated in, followed by other layers again sweated in, absorbed by those excited souls, their clothes all saturated with the clay powder filling the air stirred up everywhere on the dry roads and trodden fields by the regiments, swarming wagons, artillery, etc. All the men with this coating of murk and sweat and rain, now recoiling back, pouring over the long bridge, a horrible march of twenty miles, returning to Washington baffed, humiliated, panic-struck. Where are the vaunts and the proud boasts with which you went forth? Where are your banners and your bands of music and your ropes to bring back your prisoners? Well, there isn't a band playing, and there isn't a flag, but clings ashamed and lank to its staff. The sun rises, but shines not. The men appear, at first sparsely and shamefaced enough, then thicker in the streets of Washington, appear in Pennsylvania Avenue and on the steps and basement entrances. They come along in disorderly mobs, some in squads, stragglers, companies. Occasionally a rare regiment, in perfect order, with its officers, some gaps, dead, the true braves, marching in silence, with lowering faces, stern, weary to sinking, all black and dirty, but every man with his musket and stepping alive. But these are the exceptions. Sidewalks of Pennsylvania Avenue, 14th Street, etc., crowded, jammed with citizens, darkies, clerks, everybody, lookers-on, women in the windows, curious expressions from faces, as those swarms of dirt-covered returned soldiers there, will they never end, move by. But nothing said, no comments. Half our lookers-on, secesh of the most venomous kind, they say nothing, but the devil sniggers in their faces. During the forenoon, Washington gets all over motley with these defeated soldiers, queer-looking objects, strange eyes and faces, drenched. The steady rain drizzles on all day, and fearfully worn, hungry, haggard, blistered in the feet. Good people, but not over many of them either, hurry up something for their grub. They put wash-kettles on the fire, for soap, for coffee. They set tables on the sidewalks. Wagon-loads of bread are purchased, swiftly cut in stout chunks. Here are two aged ladies, beautiful, the first in the city for culture and charm. They stand with store of eating and drinking at an improvised table of rough plank, and give food, and have the store replenished from their house every half-hour all that day. 
and there in the rain they stand, active, silent, white-haired, and give food, though the tears stream down their cheeks, almost without intermission, the whole time. Amid the deep excitement, crowds and motion, and desperate eagerness, it seems strange to see many, very many of the soldiers sleeping, in the midst of all, sleeping sound. They drop down anywhere, on the steps of houses, up close by the basements or fences, on the sidewalk, aside on some vacant lot, and deeply asleep. A poor seventeen or eighteen-year-old boy lies there, on the stoop of a grand house. He sleeps so calmly, so profoundly. Some clutch their muskets firmly even in sleep. Some in squads, comrades, brothers, close together, and on them, as they lay, sulkily drips the rain. As afternoon passed and evening came, the streets, the bar-rooms, knots everywhere, listeners, questioners, terrible yarns, bugaboo, masked batteries, our regiment all cut up, etc., stories and storytellers, windy, bragging, vain centres of street crowds. Resolution, manliness, seem to have abandoned Washington. The principal hotel, Willits, is full of shoulder-straps, thick, crushed, creeping with shoulder-straps. I see them, and must have a word with them. There you are, shoulder-straps. But where are your companies? Where are your men? Incompetence! Never tell me of chances of battle, of getting strayed, and the like. I think this is your work, this retreat, after all. Sneak, blow, put on airs, there in Willett's sumptuous parlours and bar-rooms, or anywhere. No explanation shall save you. Bull Run is your work. Had you been half or one-tenth worthy your man, this would never have happened." Meantime, in Washington, among the great persons and their entourage, a mixture of awful consternation, uncertainty, rage, shame, helplessness, and stupefying disappointment. The worst is not only imminent, but already here. In a few hours, perhaps before the next meal, the secesh generals, with their victorious hordes, will be upon us. The dream of humanity, the vaunted union we thought so strong, so impregnable. Lo, it seems already smashed like a china plate. One bitter, bitter hour. Perhaps proud America will never again know such an hour. She must pack and fly. No time to spare. Those white palaces, the dome-crowned capital there on the hill, so stately over the trees, shall they be left, or destroyed first? For it is certain that the talk among certain of the magnates and officers and clerks and officials everywhere, for twenty-four hours in and around Washington after Bull Run, was loud and undisguised for yielding out and out, and substituting the southern rule, and Lincoln promptly abdicating and departing. If the secesh officers and forces had immediately followed, and by a bold Napoleonic movement had entered Washington the first day, or even the second, they could have had things their own way, and a powerful faction north to back them. One of our returning colonels expressed in public that night, amid a swarm of officers and gentlemen in a crowded room, the opinion that it was useless to fight, that the Southerners had made their title clear, and that the best course for the national government to pursue was to desist from any further attempt at stopping them, and admit them again to the lead, on the best terms they were willing to grant. Not a voice was raised against this judgment, amid that large crowd of officers and gentlemen. The fact is, the hour was one of the three or four of those crises we had then and afterwards, during the fluctuations of four years, when human eyes appeared at least just as likely to see the last breath of the Union as to see it continue. The stupor passes, something else begins. But the hour, the day, the night, passed, and whatever returns, 
an hour, a day, a night like that, can never again return. The President, recovering himself, begins that very night, sternly, rapidly sets about the task of reorganizing his forces, and placing himself in positions for future and surer work. If there were nothing else of Abraham Lincoln for history to stamp him with, it is enough to send him with his wreath to the memory of all future time, that he endured that hour, that day, bitterer than gall, indeed a crucifixion day, that it did not conquer him, that he unflinchingly stemmed it, and resolved to lift himself and the Union out of it. Then the great New York papers at once appeared, commencing that evening and following it up the next morning, and incessantly through many days afterwards, with leaders that rang out over the land with the loudest, most reverberating ring of clearest bugles, full of encouragement, hope, inspiration, unfaltering defiance. Those magnificent editorials, they never flagged for a fortnight. The Herald commenced them. I remember the articles well. The Tribune was equally cogent and inspiriting. And the Times, Evening Post, and other principal papers were not a whit behind. They came in good time, for they were needed. For, in the humiliation of Bull Run, the popular feeling north, from its extreme of superciliousness, recoiled to the depths of gloom and apprehension. Of all the days of the war, there are two especially I can never forget. Those were the day following the news, in New York and Brooklyn, of that first Bull Run defeat, and the day of Abraham Lincoln's death. I was home in Brooklyn on both occasions. The day of the murder, we heard the news very early in the morning. Mother prepared breakfast, and other meals afterward, as usual, but not a mouthful was eaten all day by either of us. We each drank half a cup of coffee, that was all. Little was said. We got every newspaper morning and evening, and the frequent extras of that period, and passed them silently to each other. Down at the front. Falmouth, Virginia, opposite Fredericksburg, December 21st, 1862. Begin my visits among the camp hospitals in the Army of the Potomac. Spend a good part of the day in a large brick mansion on the banks of the Rappahannock, used as a hospital since the battle. Seems to have received only the worst cases. Outdoors, at the foot of a tree, within ten yards of the front of the house, I notice a heap of amputated feet, legs, arms, hands, etc., a full load for a one-horse cart. Several dead bodies lie near, each covered with its brown woolen blanket. In the dooryard, towards the river, are fresh graves, mostly of officers, their names on pieces of arrow staves or broken boards, stuck in the dirt. Most of these bodies were subsequently taken up and transported north to their friends. The large mansion is quite crowded upstairs and down, everything impromptu, no system, all bad enough, but I have no doubt the best that can be done. All the wounds pretty bad, some frightful, the men in their old clothes unclean and bloody. Some of the wounded are rebel soldiers and officers, prisoners. One, a Mississippian, a captain, hit badly in leg, I talked with some time. He asked me for papers, which I gave him. I saw him three months afterwards, in Washington, with his leg amputated, doing well. I went through the rooms, downstairs and up. Some of the men were dying. I had nothing to give at that visit, but wrote a few letters to folks home, mothers, etc., also talked to three or four, who seemed most susceptible to it, and needing it. After first Fredericksburg. December 23rd to 31st. The results of the late battle are exhibited everywhere about here in thousands of cases. Hundreds die every day. In the camp, B. 
brigade, and division hospitals. These are merely tents, and sometimes very poor ones, the wounded lying on the ground, lucky if their blankets are spread on layers of pine or hemlock twigs or small leaves. No cots, seldom even a mattress. It is pretty cold. The ground is frozen hard, and there is occasional snow. I go around from one case to another. I do not see that I do much good to these wounded and dying, but I cannot leave them. Once in a while some youngster holds on to me convulsively, and I do what I can for him. At any rate, stop with him and sit near him for hours, if he wishes it. Besides the hospitals, I also go occasionally on long tours through the camps, talking with the men, etc. Sometimes at night, among the groups around the fires, in their shebang enclosures of bushes. These are curious shows, full of characters and groups. I soon get acquainted anywhere in camp, with officers or men, and am always well used. Sometimes I go down on picket with the regiments I know best. As to rations, the army here at present seems to be tolerably well supplied, and the men have enough, such as it is, mainly salt pork and hard tack. Most of the regiments lodge in the flimsy little shelter tents. A few have built themselves huts of logs and mud, with fireplaces. Back to Washington. January 63. Left camp at Falmouth with some wounded, a few days since, and came here by Aquia Creek Railroad, and so on government steamer up the Potomac. Many wounded were with us on the cars and boat. The cars were just common platform ones. The railroad journey of ten or twelve miles was made mostly before sunrise. The soldiers guarding the road came out from their tents or shebangs of bushes with rumpled hair and half-awake look. Those on duty were walking their posts, some on banks over us, others down far below the level of the track. I saw large cavalry camps off the road. At Aquia Creek Landing were numbers of wounded going north. While I waited some three hours, I went around among them. Several wanted word sent home to parents, brothers, wives, etc., which I did for them, by mail the next day from Washington. On the boat I had my hands full. One poor fellow died going up. I am now remaining in and around Washington, daily visiting the hospitals, and much in Patent Office, 8th Street, H Street, Armory Square, and others. I am now able to do a little good, having money, as Ammoner of others' home, and getting experience. Today, Sunday afternoon, until nine in the evening, visited Campbell Hospital, attended specially to one case in Ward 1, very sick with pleurisy and typhoid fever, young man, farmer's son, D.F. Russell, Company E, 60th New York, downhearted and feeble, a long time before he would take any interest wrote a letter home to his mother, in Malone, Franklin County, New York, at his request, gave him some fruit and one or two other gifts, enveloped and directed his letter, etc. Then went thoroughly through Ward 6, observed every case in the ward, without, I think, missing one, gave perhaps from twenty to thirty persons, each one some little gift, such as oranges, apples, sweet crackers, figs, etc. Thursday, January 21st devoted the main part of the day to Armory Square Hospital, went pretty thoroughly through wards F, G, H, and I, some fifty cases in each ward. In ward F, supplied the men throughout with writing paper and stamped envelope each, distributed in small portions to proper subjects a large jar of first-rate preserved berries, which had been donated to me by a lady, her own cooking. Found several cases I thought good subjects for small sums of money, which I furnished. The wounded men often come up broke, and it helps their spirits to have even the small sum I gave them. 
my paper and envelopes all gone, but distributed a good lot of amusing reading matter, also, as I thought judicious, tobacco, oranges, apples, etc. Interesting cases in Ward I, Charles Miller, Bed 19, Company D, 53rd Pennsylvania, is only sixteen years of age, very bright, courageous boy, left leg amputated below the knee. Next bed to him, another young lad, very sick, gave each appropriate gifts. In the bed above, also, amputation of the left leg, gave him a little jar of raspberries. Bed J, this ward, gave a small sum, also to a soldier on crutches, sitting on his bed near. I am more and more surprised at the very great proportion of youngsters from fifteen to twenty-one in the army. I afterwards found a still greater proportion among the southerners. Evening, same day, went to see D.F.R., before alluded to. Found him remarkably changed for the better, up and dressed, quite a triumph. He afterwards got well and went back to his regiment. Distributed in the wards a quantity of note-paper and forty or fifty stamped envelopes, of which I had recruited my stock, and the men were much in need. Fifty hours left wounded on the field. Here is a case of a soldier I found among the crowded cots in the patent office. He likes to have someone to talk to, and we will listen to him. He got badly hit in his leg and side at Fredericksburg that eventful Saturday, 13th of December. He lay the succeeding two days and nights, helpless on the field, between the city and those grim terraces of batteries. His company and regiment had been compelled to leave him to his fate. To make matters worse, it happened he lay with his head slightly downhill and could not help himself. At the end of some fifty hours he was brought off, with other wounded, under a flag of truce. I asked him how the rebels treated him, as he lay during those two days and nights, within reach of them, whether they came to him, whether they abused him. He answers that several of the rebels, soldiers and others, came to him at one time and another. A couple of them, who were together, spoke roughly and sarcastically, but nothing worse. One middle-aged man, however, who seemed to be moving around the field, among the dead and wounded, for benevolent purposes, came to him in a way he will never forget. Treated our soldier kindly, bound up his wounds, cheered him, gave him a couple of biscuits and a drink of whiskey and water, asked him if he could eat some beef. This good secesh, however, did not change our soldier's position, for it might have caused the blood to burst from the wounds, clotted and stagnated. Our soldier is from Pennsylvania, has had a pretty severe time. The wounds prove to be bad ones. But he retains a good heart, and is at present on the gain. It is not uncommon for the men to remain on the field this way one, two, or even four or five days. Hospital Scenes and Persons Letter Writing when eligible, I encourage the men to write, and myself, when called upon, write all sorts of letters for them, including love-letters, very tender ones. Almost as I reel off these memoranda, I write for a new patient to his wife, M. de F., of the 17th Connecticut, Company H., has just come up, February 17th, from Windmill Point, and is received in Ward H., Army Square. He is an intelligent-looking man, has a foreign accent, black-eyed and haired, a Hebraic appearance. Wants a telegraphic message sent to his wife, New Canaan, Connecticut. I agree to send the message, but to make things sure, I also sit down and write the wife a letter, and dispatch it to the post office immediately, as he fears she will come on, and he does not wish her to, as he will surely get well. Saturday, January 30th. Afternoon. Visited Campbell Hospital. 
seen of cleaning up the ward and giving the men all clean clothes through the ward six the patients dressing or being dressed the naked upper half of the bodies the good humour and fun the shirts drawers sheets of beds etc and the general fixing up for sunday gave j l fifty cents wednesday february fourth visited armory square hospital went pretty thoroughly through wards e and d supplied paper and envelopes to all who wished as usual found plenty of men who needed those articles wrote letters saw and talked with two or three members of the brooklyn fourteenth regiment a poor fellow in ward d with a fearful wound and a fearful condition was having some loose splinters of bone taken from the neighbourhood of the wound the operation was long and one of great pain yet after it was well commenced the soldier bore it in silence he sat up propped was much wasted had lain a long time quiet in one position not for days only but weeks a bloodless brown-skinned face with eyes full of determination belonged to a new york regiment there was an unusual cluster of surgeons medical cadets nurses etc round his bed i thought the whole thing was done with tenderness and done well in one case the wife sat by the side of her husband his sickness typhoid fever pretty bad in another by the side of her son a mother she told me she had seven children and this was the youngest a fine kind healthy gentle mother good-looking not very old with a cap on her head and dressed like home what a charm it gave to the whole ward i liked the woman nurse in ward e i noticed how she sat a long time by a poor fellow who just had that morning in addition to his other sickness bad hemorrhage she gently assisted him relieved him of the blood holding a cloth to his mouth as he cuffed it up he was so weak he could only just turn his head over on the pillow one young new york man with a bright handsome face had been lying several months from a most disagreeable wound received at bull run a bullet had shot him right through the bladder hitting him in front low in the belly and coming out back he had suffered much the water came out of the wound by slow but steady quantities for many weeks so that he lay almost constantly in a sort of puddle and there were other disagreeable circumstances he was of good heart however at present comparatively comfortable had a bad throat was delighted with the stick of whorehound candy i gave him with one or two other trifles patent office hospital february twenty third i must not let the great hospital at the patent office pass away without some mention a few weeks ago the vast area of the second story of that noblest of washington buildings was crowded close with rows of sick badly wounded and dying soldiers they were placed in three very large apartments i went there many times it was a strange solemn and with all its features of suffering and death a sort of fascinating sight i go sometimes at night to soothe and relieve particular cases two of the immense apartments are filled with high and ponderous glass cases crowded with models in miniature of every kind of utensil machine or invention it ever entered into the mind of man to conceive and with curiosities and foreign presents between these cases are lateral openings perhaps eight feet wide and quite deep and in these were placed the sick besides a great long double row of them up and down through the middle of the hall many of them were very bad cases wounds and amputations then there was a gallery running above the hall in which there were beds also it was indeed a curious scene especially at night when lit up the glass cases the beds the forms lying there the gallery above and the marble pavement underfoot the suffering and the fortitude to bear it in various degrees 
occasionally from some the groan that could not be repressed sometimes a poor fellow dying with emaciated face and glassy eye the nurse by his side the doctor also there but no friend no relative such were the sights but lately in the patent office the wounded have since been removed from there and it is now vacant again end of section two